That's another reason for my soul to be thrilled tonight. Thank you all. Thank you so much and for your going on for the Lord. That's what we all have to do. Amen. And we need, by the way, we need in that generation right there, we need an army of young adults that's going to go on for the Lord. Amen. Young people, look at me for just a moment. You don't have to fall off the deep end just because you have an 18th birthday. You don't have to do that. You don't have to unzip your school and your brain fall out because you had a birthday. Amen? The things you say, well, I've learned some things. Listen, you do. You're smarter than you were when you're 15, 16, 17, 18. Every year you get smarter, but listen to me. Well, you get smarter. Your mom and daddy getting smarter too. Did you know that? They're getting older too. They're still ahead of you down the road. And you all listen to them. Pay attention to them. And uh, we need an army of young young adults that, that, that are just going to love the Lord Jesus Christ. The world is, is going to hell in a handbasket. We've lost our minds. And so uh, you'll stand out even more. You know, just be decent. Just be honest. Love the Lord and, and do right. So I've been mean, blesses my soul. I'm so excited tonight that you're going to hear Brother Souter. And I'm excited for the teaching tonight. And I know just the, just the fellowship, just the fellowship today at the lunch table and just the divine appointment at the lunch table uh, today and just the things that I have heard today. It's my first time hearing him teach in person. And I've heard his teaching and I've read after him. But it's been a joy to, to get to know him. And uh, and so these, this is a sweet couple serving the Lord together and you're going to get help tonight so I want you to just pay attention turn all your phones off so those amber alerts don't hit us and the flood warnings don't hit us all right let's go ahead and do that let's all do that together are you ready here we go say pastor you're 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 by example right yes I'm turning mine off right now all right so by example there we go all your phones off say amen you're living in rebellion you're not going to turn your phone off stand and I'm just all right. So let's dial in, and uh, I know it's a little a little on the warm side, but it's hotter in Africa. So keep that in mind, and let's enjoy what God has for us. Brother Suter, come ahead. We are grateful that God brought you to us. Thank you, preacher, so much. Ephesians tonight, please. Ephesians chapter six. If you can find Ephesians chapter six, I'd like for you to stand with me. I'd like to read uh, verse twelve. It might be a familiar area of Scripture to you. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Here's what the Bible says. For we, that would be you and I. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I know husbands and wives, you can have some spats and the kiddos at home. Um... Listen to what the scripture says. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. By the way, you know what a principality is? It's a prince in the invisible dark world over a municipality. Against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, please don't be fooled into thinking that we're fighting against Democrats and Republicans. There's something much more cynical behind all of that. In the satanic services, 
you reach higher power with the shedding of blood. Now, our poor nation may not realize it, but there's evil and wickedness going on. Anytime it's wholesale abortion, even after birth, and mutilating little children in the transgender thing, I'm just saying to you now, this is a spiritual warfare. We're not wrestling just against flesh and blood. Now, while you're standing, would you look with me also in John chapter 10? The Bible helps us recognize our enemy. The Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. And by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. By the way, how many of you already entered in? Isn't that wonderful? Best entering in you can do. He shall be saved and shall come in and out and find pasture. Verse 10. The thief. Now, who would that be? Our enemy, Satan. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Father, we love you. And really the only reason we would know how to do that is because you first loved us. And so what could we say really? Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I pray that you do all that you've purposed to do tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, what do you have that Satan would like to steal? I see your old cars out in the parking lot. I'm definitely convinced he's not after anything out there. My, uh, I grew up in a migrant worker's home. And so we followed the crops. We were here and there and all over the place. Never finished uh, a year in school at the same school. And uh, so that caused a lot of insecurity, and I stuttered real bad growing up. And that makes it even worse. Because, you know, every new school, they, they did this. The teacher would say, now, since you're the new, new boy in class... I want you to introduce you to the class, and so put me right up in front. And there I stand, and she'd say, "Go ahead, introduce yourself." Hi, class. My name is Tommy, and the class would say, "Yeah, you've been there, haven't you?" I could tell. And then I would sit down. Oh. So all I'm saying to you is that was my life growing up. And we were poor. So when you're poor growing up, what's your goal when you get uh, older? Be rich. So that was my goal. I am going to be rich. And uh, now we never went to church. It was a lost home and things like that. So growing up, I, no question about it, I was going to be rich. And it was very important to me what kind of label there was on the inside. If you can get one that kind of hangs off, it's a little advertisement. 
And that's where I was uh, until a 24-year-old cop. Um, see, now, as a policeman, I thought I was the good guy putting the bad guys in jail. Uh, then went to church and discovered, nope, I'm just another one of the bad guys, uh, according to the scripture. See, even as a lost person, I always thought, and was kind of taught, you die, you stand, get on a scale, and if you're good, outweighs your bad, then God will say, come on in. But see, even as, a, even as a lost person, I couldn't figure out, then why did Jesus Christ have to come to earth and die on the cross? And then finally in church, I got it figured out. The good outweighing the bad has nothing to do with it. It's all about Jesus Christ, the good, dying for me, the bad. So I personally accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And um, then um, our first pastor came and discipled my wife and I at um, our house for one year. He initially said he wanted to, would we be open to a Bible study? And I thought, oh, yeah. He said, I know now that you're saved, you've got a lot of questions. And uh, so if, you, if you'd like, we could come to your house and have a Bible study. Oh, I said, that'd be great. I thought one Bible study. He showed up every week, Thursday night, for one year. Now, all I'm trying to say to you is it was wonderful. Now, by the way, it's called discipleship helped me so much but then one day I get this call from my pastor brother Tom I wanted you to be one of the first ones to know that my wife and I are in the process of getting a divorce you could have knocked me down with a feather I could not believe it and my wife said who was that on the phone I said well that's our pastor well, what did he have to say? Well, him and his wife are getting... They saved our marriage. And I was just floored. We cried, my wife and I, we hugged each other. And then we had to find another church. So then we went to another Baptist church. And they're um, growing like crazy. By the way... You'll discover in life about the time something happens, you think it's the end of the road. Now, think about it. We are eternal people. Eternity doesn't have an end. About the time you think that thing happens in your life you wish never would have happened and it's the end. It's never the end. It's just a bend. By the way, how many of you excited about the rapture happening? Okay, now pick up on this. If it happened tomorrow, guess what? We would be out of here in heaven for just seven years. And then it's a bend and we'd be right back on planet Earth. And those of you that are real irritated because you lived in North Carolina, you better get over that. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And how long will we be back on planet Earth? A thousand years. Get past it. So, from that Baptist church, um, God called me into the ministry. So, I went off to Bible college. We hadn't been there very long. And we got a call from our home church. This is a big church, like 2,500 people. And um, and it was one of the folks at church. And they said, uh, 
we wanted to call the Bible college students and tell them we've got some uh, real sad news. And I said, well, what's the sad news? Well, our pastor has shot himself, committed suicide. We just lost our pastor. <laughs> I started crying. My wife said, "Hun, what's the matter? And I told her. We hugged each other. We cried. And I said to myself, what kind of a club have I joined? And, and you know, I told her, I said, I don't know. Maybe it's not working for anybody else. How can it be working for us? And I really thought about uh, quitting Bible college. And um, my wife said, well, but now you know, uh, once saved, always saved. How many of you heard that? And we can't really quit the club. Oh, okay. So now we're in a Baptist church in Bible college and uh, growing. Quite frankly, you kind of get over that. By the way, it's not the end of the road. It's just a bend in the road. Now, here, listen. If you don't bend, you'll break. If you don't bend with reality, you'll break. You'll break emotionally. How many of you ever heard of an emotional or mental breakdown? So that thing happens you wish never would have happened. Emotionally, you go back and you feel it over and over and over. And you try to correct it. You wished it wouldn't have happened. Why did this have to happen? And pretty soon... It's just an overload in your emotions, and you break. Emotional breakdown. So the church that we were going to began to grow in Bible college, and then all of a sudden we got a message from the Bible college that the college had placed this church off limits. You couldn't go to that church anymore. And because the pastor had been caught in a homosexual relationship. I know, I felt the same way. And I told my wife, I said, pack your stuff up, we're leaving. She said, where are we going? I said, I don't know, but something isn't working out here. Uh, I think I want out of this. And uh, the truth of the matter is, that was my emotion speaking. I'm so glad. By the way, now think with me, it's never the end of the road. It's just a bend in the road. So we stayed. Finished Bible college. Um, God opened up an opportunity for us to preach right back where I was a policeman, Kansas City, Missouri. And I do remember, by the way, as a vice detective. You know what vice, uh, vice is? It's uh, Everything is kind of legal today. Back then, uh, vice detective, we were fighting against uh, prostitution, homosexuality, uh, liquor control issue, gambling so that was my job. Uh, so we, God sent us right back to that city. When we moved out of Kansas City, Missouri, to go to Bible college, I, I said this. I said to my wife, well, I hope God never sends us back to this sin-sick, God-forsaken city. Now, I always worked in the high crime rate area, so I saw all the worst of the worst of the worst. And pretty soon you just get suspicious. You think that's the way everybody is, you know. So right back there. Well, so 
Just because you're in the ministry doesn't mean that everything's going to go smoothly. Now, how many of you realize that we wrestle not against flesh and blood? So it's an invisible war that's going on. And Christians are the target, church. But I think sometimes those in full-time Christian service or really want to give their life and serve the Lord become the bullseye. So I would like to tell you our story, and and I'm going to try to make it brief, because really my story is not the big deal. How do you get past these hurts biblically? Now that's the big deal. And you have that sheet in front of you. We're going to look at that in a little bit. So the best I can, let me skip through this. Um, So we had two daughters, Gina, 10 years later, uh, a little blonde-headed, blue-eyed daughter, uh, Jenny. And uh, we were always very picky as independent, fundamental Baptists. We never let our kids go stay all night anywhere or anything like that, except for one time. One time we let our little daughter, Jenny, go stay all night with Grandma and Grandpa. That would be my mom and dad. And uh, they, they were not saved at the time, uh, but they loved their grandchildren. But little did we know that that one night decision was going to completely flip-flop our whole entire lives. Now, I will have to tell you right now, when we let her stay all night that one night, we had no idea what occurred that particular night. Uh, and her and her grandmother were as thick as thieves and always wanted to uh, be over grandma's. And then when we went to pick her up, all of a sudden it was one of those things where she didn't want to go over to grandma's anymore. And she began to touch herself in areas. And we thought, well, maybe, you know, little kids get infections and stuff. And um, so we kind of got past that. But then life really got weird. Um, So our oldest daughter, same mom and dad, same church, same pastor, me, like a straight arrow. But this little second daughter was like, I don't know, something was really wrong. She just was wandering all over the place. In our Christian school, preacher, she went through a time of um, lying. Lying, lying, lying. Uh, And she was good at it. The principal believed her. We believed her. But give it a little time. Boom. It became real clear. She was just lying. Went through a time of lying. Growing up. And then she went through a time of stealing. Stealing in the Christian school. I mean, n- no big things, a pencil here, something there, something there. And, and we would say, honey, where'd you get that? Oh, so-and-so gave it me in school. Oh, okay. And um, now, if you will, just for a second, I want to show you how this fits in Scripture, Ephesians, please. Would you mind slipping over there with me? You can see this right here. I call it kind of a demonic sandwich. Ephesians chapter 4. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, 
Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. That's one slice of bread. Here's the slice of bologna, verse 27. Neither give place to the devil, verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing that which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. And I, I just couldn't figure this out. What, what is wrong with her? What is the problem? It just seemed like she was all over the place. And um, so I asked when she was about like, I guess it would be probably 19 years old, um, still living at home. I asked the deacons, my friends, best friends, I said, would you men try to help me and my wife with this little daughter? Well, they said, sure, Pastor, what, what can we do? I said, well, I don't know, really, but I would like to be able to have you men sitting there and let's just ask God to put our hearts together and see if there's something we can discover about our little daughter. And they said, sure, we'll be glad to help any way we can. So we brought her in and we asked her questions. I even asked her beforehand. I said, uh, Jenny, um, I, I, am, I just don't know exactly what to do to help, sweetheart. She's going through all kinds of issues, struggles. And uh, I said, I would like to get some counsel from the deacons. And she said, well, Dad, that would be okay. I like those men. So, so now she's 19 years old. Now, leading up to that, I would have to say to you, she asked me one time, she said, you know, you see these things later. She said, um, Dad, you know my cousin so-and-so? I said, yes, honey. She said, um, Dad, did he ever hurt me or anything? I said, well, um, no, honey. You know, that side of the family's kind of headed in one direction, and we're headed in another direction. How many of you know that's what happens when you get saved? And so, um, and I didn't put two and two together. So we're meeting there with the deacons. And um, so they were asking her questions. I asked some questions. And really, it didn't seem like we were getting anywhere. So I sent her uh, down the hall in the parsonage, way back to the back bedroom with her mom. And uh, so we got to talking. Trying to compare notes. Uh, trying to rescue this little daughter of ours that just seemed to be kind of all over the place. It just was making no logical sense. And so one of the men said, you know, Pastor, when she comes back, I would like to ask her such and such. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, three guys like that. And I said, now, men, I, I don't know what to think of this, but I've just been reading a book. And it was a Christian book on what Satan and demons can do to Christians. By the way, how many of you know that just because you get saved, you don't automatically get free from the battle that we're just reading about here? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And so I read about a page, maybe a page and a half, out of this book. And they said, wow, do you think it could be something like that? I said, man, I don't know. How many of you know you get in the middle of the forest, you can't see the trees sometimes? 
So, so we brought her in and started talking to her. And I said, uh, sweetheart, uh, the men have some questions they want to ask you. And she said, yes, Dad, I know. And I said, now, now what do you mean you know? She said, well, Mr. Francine wants to ask and told us the exact question that he was going to ask. And Mr. Shervino is going to ask the same thing. All the way down. Boom, boom, boom. Three. And then she said, and then, Dad, I, I heard your voice, too. It was like you were reading or something. Now, how many of you realize that's a little off the wall? So we started asking those questions. And as we started asking those questions, she started flushing red from her neck up. And her neck cranked way back. And she started clawing uh, like an animal. And uh, low guttural voices spoke out of her voice. And they said, leave her alone. Low guttural voices. Leave her alone. She belongs to us. In front of seven deacons. And uh, we started praying. Um, you know, I had never experienced something like this to that degree. And so I didn't know exactly what to do, to be real frank with you. Um, but I caught myself. First of all, I'm a dad. And I need to rescue this little sweetheart daughter of mine. And I don't know exactly how to do that. But because I was reading this book, spiritual Christian book, about our authority in Christ and who we are in Christ, when I was in the military, I never had to buy any uniforms, no boots, no weapons, no bullets, because your commander gives all that to you. If you're a soldier in the army, then you don't have to buy your own equipment. And so this... Christian book was telling me that uh, we're in a warfare battle. Jesus Christ is our commander, and he's given us power and authority over the enemy. So here's what I did in kind of basic ignorance. I scared. I stood up as she's shaking and, and clawing. I said, in Jesus' name and through his blood, Whoever's doing this is my daughter. Stop it. Boom. It quit. She kind of came to, Dad, Dad, what's happening to me? So that was our first experience. Now, as the men left that night, it was late. One by one, as they walked out, they said, Wow. Now we understand why maybe she's having these problems. Okay, so there's demonic something going on. But how in the world did this happen? And so I'll be real frank with you. So I got that Christian book. I'd read another chapter. I'd go in and tell tell my wife, okay, now, honey, you and Jenny, we need to sit down here. And I'd pray again like the scripture was telling me from this book. And pretty soon... Jenny started having flashbacks. See, when you have something happen to you as a little kid, 
that's really traumatic, you tend to take that, you don't know what to do with it, you tend to stuff it down in the basement in the subconscious. And um, so you can keep on growing and keep on doing your math facts and learn how to tie your shoes and things like that. And so she started having flashbacks. And so here's what happened. That night at Grandma and Grandpa's house, an older teenage cousin, mad with the world. Nobody knew at the time, but he had been trapping animals and killing them and using it for uh, ceremonies in the dark forces that we just read about. And my folks um, let him stay downstairs, and the night he came up and took our daughter out of the home to another location where they were having a full-blown satanic ritualistic ceremony. And her flashbacks were seeing uh, people in hooded robes, and basically they uh, killed an animal, put blood on her. Now, by the way, that's how they do it. In the invisible, demonic realm, they try to duplicate what God does. Remember in the Old Testament? Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So whatever the Scripture does, they try to counterfeit it for evil. And so over the years, we've worked with people, demonic spirits speaking out of them. We've worked with wizards. Uh, warlocks, all kinds of people in the satanic realm. Now, I'll just be real frank with you. I would never have volunteered for any of this. I just wanted to be a happy little preacher, preaching the gospel, watching people get saved, and let all that satanic stuff uh, take place in Africa, you know? Uh, And it does happen there. But now you think about it. In warfare... Your enemy is someone that is opposed to you. So the real battle is not necessary in Africa because a lot of that's already been taken over and won. But the real warfare is where Christianity is. And where is that? Right here in the United States of America. So, and sorry, I'll make this shorter. So, man, as we begin to... She began to come out of this thing using our authority in Christ, commanding demonic spirits to leave. It looked like a whole brand new little kid. Well, 19-year-old young lady in our home. Uh, And she would say to me, she'd say, Boy, Dad, the choir was so good Sunday. And I'm thinking, I thought it was a little mediocre. But you see... When you get rid of this filter system of confusion. See, now, God's not the author of confusion. But there is an author of confusion. God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. There is a spirit of fear. And uh, so, I mean, just like she came alive. So her and I went soul winning one day. A pretty richy neighborhood, quite frankly, uh, by our uh, church. And uh, so just door to door and knocked on the door. And this little short 
gal with short blonde hair came to the, a, a, a wife came to the door, and I gave my soul winning thing, and she just looked right at me, and then she turned and looked at my daughter, and she said, "We know who you are. You used to be one of us. You're a traitor." So it shook her up, and. Um, it shook me up. How can, how can they know that? But the scripture does say, uh, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? They're in Acts. By the way, they're much more aware of what's going on, I'm afraid, than you and I are. So it shook her up. We went back to the car and drove home, and she wanted to talk about it. Dad, how, 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 do, how did she know me? She said, I don't, want to be, I don't want to be a part of that anymore. And she, would, she told us, she said, uh, my wife would always say, you know, honey, whenever you travel, you go someplace to preach, it seemed like I'm, I always have trouble with, with Jenny. And she told us, she said, Dad, you know, when, like when you leave, she said, I, um, I hear things. I hear voices. I can see things in my room. And, and so we began to see something. We began to see her slide a little bit. By the way, you cannot hitchhike off of your husband's spirituality. Wife, son or daughter, you can't really hitchhike off of your mom and dad's spirituality. You've got to own it. Does that make sense to you? It, it really not. It's got to be yours. And I know those teenage years are a difficult time because we're trying to pass the baton, you know, whether they want the baton or not. But I'm just saying to you, you've got to own it or it's not yours. And um, we began to experience oppression in the parsonage. Uh, her room was right below ours in the bedroom. And uh, then another thing happened. So my wife and I are at the mall, and uh, we came home, and she was really shook up. She said, Dad, you know, three teenagers into the 20s came to the parsonage door, knocked on the door. She said, I went to the door, and um, they said almost the same thing as the lady said. Now, we know who you are. You're one of us. And even called her by name. She had never seen him before. Now, all I'm trying to say to you is, she started this downhill slide. And in the parsonage, I had I, used the word oppression before in messages, but I never really felt it. My wife and I would be in bed at night, and all of a sudden like the hairs on my leg would stand up like porcupines. And uh, you just sense things. I got to the point now, I'm just telling you, because she said to us, she said, Dad, I feel, like, I feel like I need to move out. Now, she's 24 years old now, 24 years old. I feel like I need to move out because, Dad, I'm afraid they're going to hurt you and Mom. And I said, but sweetheart, now look, we're not afraid. 
See, now, greater is he than in us, that is in us, than he that is in the world. But, but by me saying that, I wish I could have some kind of a, an injection inside her, and she'd go, yes, I believe just like you do. But I don't know how to do that. Do you? And so, um, so here's the tragedy. We were under a lot of pressure, uh, and and the deacons even saw it. And they said, you know, uh, Pastor, we just want to send. We're taking this out of your hands. We want to send you and your wife away for a while. You just need to get away, clear your heads. Our other daughter and uh, her son was on staff, and they said, we, we will look after Jenny. And so we got away for a while, and it just seemed like it, it helped. You know, you're right in the middle of the thick of the battle, and you can't see the trees for the forest. And so we left and went for uh, about a week. And it seemed like it was great. My wife, uh, late wife, had calmed down. And, um, you know, I don't know what it's like being a mother. I'm just telling you. But she was just afraid that Jenny was going to be lost um, to that whole dark side if we didn't keep her at home. And so we came back. We had kind of a game plan. Now, look, if if her actions uh, moving out, if it disqualifies us in the ministry, it's okay. Hey, there's a lot of places in the vineyard we can work, you know. I'd have to be a pastor. And I, th- I thought we had things pretty much settled and mellowed out. Uh, but then uh, Jenny got worse. And you could just tell the darkness was kind of all over her again. It was a Saturday morning. I was at the church, quite frankly, preparing for a wedding. And one of my good deacons came rushing in. He said, now, Pastor, he said, I I heard what sounded like either a car backfire or a gunshot. And he said, "Um, and it sounded like it came from the parsonage. Well, I broke to run ran over the asphalt to the parsonage. And uh, there I discovered my wife and daughter uh, dead on the floor. The police um, forensics showed that my wife had shot my daughter and then uh, shot herself, killed herself. Murder, suicide. Um, of course, I was convinced. By the way, I've been able to get through this. You know, that, that was 25, 6 years ago. I've been able to get through that on the inside. Uh, but I was convinced at the time that it was the end of the road. Um, you know when the Bible uses the term wailing? Well, I know exactly what that's all about. It starts and you have no idea it's coming on. Three days and three nights in the parsonage, wailing. I was convinced they could hear me all the way across 
the asphalt parking lot to the church. The men would check on me all the time. Uh, All I'm trying to say to you is I was convinced it was the end of the road. But I'm standing here before you tonight to tell you that it's not the end of the road. People with eternal life, we don't have an end. See, it's kind of funny. The people up north, when somebody dies, they say, oh, my father died. Okay. But down here, you know what we say? We say, oh, my father passed. Ah. See, died sounds like a period. Passed sounds as a comma. Because you just pass from death unto life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, I will see my wife and daughter in heaven. But in the parsonage, I just want to kind of show you where I was here. I got so angry and mad. Now, who do you think I got mad at first? Oh, my, I don't know if it was first or second or third, but I just kind of rotated. Got mad at my wife. I can't believe you would do something like this. Why didn't you want to stay with me? I was mad. Then I got mad at God. All he ever wanted to do, Lord, was to serve you. Why did you let something like this happen? Now, I'm telling you, I found myself getting on this elevator ride down into what we call the hole of no hope. The book that we wrote, Help Out of the Hole of No Hope, was really the result of that traumatic experience. Now, I'm not in the hole. I'm out of the hole. And uh, it's much better to be out of the hole than in the hole, I will tell you that. But uh, if you'll take your sheet here, I want to glance at a few things with you on your sheet. And it doesn't matter, church, I want to say to you, it doesn't matter uh, the depth of the hole that you might be in. That doesn't matter. If yours is three foot, it'll always seem like a hundred foot. If yours is ten foot, it'll still seem like a hundred foot because a hole is a hole. And here are some of the characteristics of people that are in the hole of no hope. And you can see it there on your sheet in the front. First of all, we ask why. Oh, did I ask why? Over and over again. By the way, Job did the same thing 16 times in the book of Job. He asked why. And then you have this issue with, it's not fair. Oh, man, did I go there. How many of you know what a pity party looks like? Oh, I was <laughs> I was just stalking back and forth in the parsonage all alone and mad about everything and anything. And it's not fair. Why did this have to happen? And then I'd start wailing and crying. I didn't even hardly recognize myself. And then it's not fair. And then comparison comes in. They that measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves among themselves, the Bible says what? You're not wise, see? And comparison looks like this. It's the what ifs and if onlys of life. If only we'd have never moved to Kansas City. I said, what if I'd have never been in the ministry? Maybe this wouldn't have happened. You know what I'm saying. What if and if only. So anytime there's a major event that happens in your life, a divorce, a death, 
a loss, it's always centered around some kind of a loss. Then we always tend to go there, if only, what if? I wish we'd have never met, uh, uh, moved to North Carolina. Okay, but you are here. The what ifs and if onlys. And then if you don't, if you don't watch it, it'll drop down to the next thing, and that's bitterness. You ask somebody, are you bitter? And they'll say, oh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm bitter. I mean, I'm hurt. Okay, but you stay hurt for a while, it'll always drop into bitterness. Now flip your sheet over, look on the back. The, this thing of bitterness is like a coin. Can you see that down there? The head side always shows up as anger. The tail side always shows up as depression. So if you are struggling with or you know someone who's struggling with anger, mad, or depression, the psychiatrist will call that bipolar. Bi like a bicycle, two wheels. Pole, North Pole, South Pole. Now let me ask you, how many of you know of someone that's been diagnosed as bipolar? Can I see your hands? Now we used to not get any hands at all. But all that really means is something's happened in your life you wish never would have happened. And you either, usually based on personality kind of, you go mad and angry or down and depressed. Leave me alone. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to be in my room. You see what I'm saying? Now, Hebrews on your bottom of your sheet there, chapter 12, verses 14 and 15, is a huge verse. Here's what the Bible says. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which... No man shall see the Lord looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. It'll just, it'll start springing up. Well, that's not fair. Why did this have to happen? Catch this now. And pretty soon, it'll turn to bitterness. It'll spring up. It'll trouble you. And it'll splash over on all the people around you. See? Now flip your sheet back over. My heart was just throbbing, throbbing, throbbing of anger and mad and hurt, uh, confusion. Why did this have to happen? And a lot of times when you get to that point, you just try to find something that will distract you from that painful, constant hurt. That's why a lot of people will go to addictions, alcohol, drugs, just something to cover up that huge feeling that I'm always getting. You see what I'm saying? Um, And none of that works, by the way. Then people start having thoughts of putting a period at the end of the sentence by committing suicide. And so there I was in the parsonage, third day. Every day was worse. <laughs> and I'll just show you how this works. So pitiful. So in the kitchen, we've got this island. And I knew where the knife drawer was. I didn't want to be the only one left 
to face to face what? Oh, I was self-centered to face the embarrassment, the shame, the consequences, the weight, the explanation to everybody. I don't want to be, I didn't want to do all that. So here I am, mad and angry, and I'm going through the knife drawer. And so I found the right one, uh, not real good in the kitchen. Pulled it out. Yeah, there it is. Okay, good. So then I, I start taking out every knife because, now catch this, I'm getting these thoughts coming my way. What do you think the thoughts are? You just need to end this. Escape it. You just need to finish the job for the whole family. I pull out a knife. And, you know, my thought, here, I'm just telling you what the thoughts are. That's why I know Satan and demons can send you thoughts. And uh, so my thought was I'm just going to find a stiff knife. And I'm just going to put it up here to my heart. And I'm going to fall on it. And I check this knife out. Flippy floppy knife. Got this other one. It's not long enough. And I'm thinking, what kind of a wife is it that doesn't have a stiff, strong knife? And I got mad at her again because I couldn't kill myself. What? And, you know, all of a sudden I'm hearing myself say this and probably thinking the same thing you're thinking. Well, that's kind of weird. I know it. I was mad at her for what she did. And I'm wanting to try the same thing. Now, I'm just telling you, when you're down in the hole, you lose hope. The Bible says, hope deferred or derailed maketh the heart sick. Now, the Bible cautions us, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. There's a huge thing here going on. And so, in all that anger and mad, a still small voice spoke, spoke to me on the inside. I had heard that still small voice many times in my life. And here's what the still small voice said to me, the preacher, who had been preaching for years. The still small voice said, you should forgive your wife. Well, I don't know about that. Almost sound like the devil. But he never speaks in that still small voice. And here's what I did. I dropped to my knees and I wept and cried out loud and I forgave my wife. Hallelujah. And it really was hallelujah. Uh, now, forgiveness is two things, by the way. We're, Ephesians says we're supposed to forgive other people like God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. So forgiveness is two things. One is, I forgive you, and I don't want to get even. But I didn't know who to get even with. I forgive you. I don't want to be mad anymore. I don't want to get even anymore. I'm going to take you off of my hook, 
of getting mad and getting even, I'm going to put you on God's hook. Now, God, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. You get even. Or don't get even. I don't care. I just don't want to carry this anymore. See? And the second part of forgiveness is this. I forgive you. Now, catch this. This is important. And I'll accept the pain and the hurt and the shame and the embarrassment and the loss that your sin has caused. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did, hanging on the cross. You know, I never could figure this out. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Where's the joy in that? Ah, the secret. One of the last things he told us now before he left was, on the cross, Father, here's the lesson, forgive them. Now, by the way, forgiveness is not for the person that hurt you, wronged you, sexually violated you. It's not for them. Forgiveness is for you. It's your healing, see. We had this young Bible college student come to us, a young girl, and she had a crutch. She walked with a crutch. She had been to medical doctors, and they had diagnosed her with multiple sclerosis. And um, so she came for counseling. And as we talked with her, here was her story. 12 years old, stayed all night with her um, uncle, be her mom's brother, and his wife. In the night, the uncle slipped into her room and um, uh, violated her. She couldn't sleep the rest of the night, couldn't wait till her mom picked her up the next morning. And she ran out to the car. About a block away, she started weeping and crying and telling her mom what happened. And her mom said, what? My brother wouldn't do something like that. Made a U-turn in the car, took her back to her uncle's house, her mom's brother, and said, my daughter said such and such. Did you do that? And you know what he said. Well, no, I wouldn't do something like that. And forced her to hug him. And she said, now she's in Bible college. She said, Walking with a crutch, she said, that day I felt like I lost my mom and my virginity in just one day. Now, by the way, if your mom doesn't believe you, who will? And um, since we discovered what forgiveness was, then we told her, forgiveness is two things. We're supposed to forgive other people like God has given, forgiven us. And bless her heart now, a half a box of Kleenexes later, she kind of fought it. Can I be real frank with you about forgiving? But here's the bottom line. If you can't change what's happened, but you won't accept it, you got to live in the hole. So what's the solution? Accept what you can't change. If you want to live in reality. If you can't, I wish I had a time machine. Get in that time machine, shoot back a few days before all this stuff happened in my life. Rearrange some things so it never happened. Wouldn't that be wonderful? How many else would get in a time machine like that? Well, yeah. See? Now, here's what I'm saying. We don't have one. But we do have something better. And that is, 
how to make it through these things biblically. And so she just didn't want to forgive. And I said, well, okay, uh, Missy, let's just say my wife and I are going to finance for you a multi-million dollar mansion on the shores of Hawaii. The waves splashing up on your property is all in your name. It's got 15 bedrooms. It's a trust fund. So you can hire people to clean the house and cook for you, whatever you want to do. And it's all yours. But there is a, a stipulation. She said, well, I would like to live in Hawaii to get away from everything. What's the stipulation? I said, well... One of those bedrooms you have to give to your aunt and uncle to live in. <gasps> she said. And another one of the bedrooms you have to let your mom live in. <gasps> she said. I said, would you take the mansion? No. No. I said, well, why? Fifteen bedroom sprawling mansion on the shores of Hawaii. She said, because it's just not big enough for all of us to live there. And I said, now, Missy, if that mansion's not big enough, then why are you letting them live in this little small one-room apartment called your heart? Oh! She said, that's what I'm doing. Now, why don't you forgive them so they can be evicted and they don't have to live in there? And bless her heart, she did. She forgave them right there on the spot, half a box of Kleenexes. And she stood up. We could hear the music upstairs, and so we had to get to the church service. took about an hour and a half meeting with her. She stood up, and she started twisting her ankle. And I said, "Uh uh-oh, did your foot go to sleep? She said, no, no, uh, Brother Suter. She said, you know, that's uh, multiple sclerosis. That's my stiff side. She said, "I, I haven't been able to move my ankle before. Now, pick up on this. That was Thursday night. We saw her Sunday coming to church, walking across the parking lot. Pick up on this. No crutch, no limp, walking to church. Now, what does that mean? Well, the medical people will tell you today that stress is the number one killer of human beings. Now, look, we pile all this stuff in our lives, we get mad. We get irritated. And God has a remedy, and that is just forgive the people. Forgiveness is not for them, it's for you. They won't even know you did it. Finally, you can take them off your hook and put them on God's hook. Remember when they came to arrest Jesus Christ, and he said, and Peter whipped out his sword, took a swing, cut off the ear of the servant of uh, of the high priest. And Jesus supernaturally healed that. And he said to Peter something very important. He said, no, Peter, if you live by the sword, what's going to happen? You're going to die by the sword. Think ye not that I could not presently pray to my Father in heaven, and he would send me more than 12 legions of angels? By a, a, a legion could be like uh, 7,000 angels, 12 of those. And I'm thinking, oh, wait a minute, I remember in the Old Testament... One angel wiped out a human army of about 185,000 soldiers. And I I read that and I thought, well, Lord, don't you think that's a little bit of an overkill here? But what he was saying was, now, Peter, if I wanted to, 
one prayer, my father would send me enough angels and we could wipe out the human race. Now, that's plan B. By the way, God doesn't have plan B. He has plan A. Plan A is Jesus. So all I'm trying to say to you is this. Forgive the person. Just forgive them. Why are you letting them control your life? Why are you letting them steal your joy? The second part of forgiveness is this. I forgive you. And since I can't change it, I'll accept the pain and the hurt. Maybe the consequences of a divorce or a death or of loss. Uh, my, I'm just telling you now, this is the Bible truth. God has the answer here, and that is to forgive the person. Now, if you don't forgive... You'll have to live in the hole. There's nothing worse than living in the hole of no hope. Regret, 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 regret. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? Now, once you do that, then it'll be easy to trust God's will. I forgave my wife. All of a sudden, my thinking was clear, I wasn't confused anymore. I told the deacons, I met with all the deacons, and I said, now, men, here's what we need to do. We had a Christian school, kindergarten through 12th grade. I want to meet with all the school people, the ones that are in other Baptist churches, send their children. And I explained to all of them what happened. And I said, now, I want to meet with all the church and explain to the church everything that happened. And I said, now, I would like to invite any pastors in the Kansas City area that would like to know what's happening and making front page news, I would like to tell them what happened. By the way, that place was packed. Uh, and I explained it. Now, all I'm, here's all I'm trying to say to you. Look, God loves you. The thing that happened in your life, you felt like it was the end of the road. It's not an end of the road. It's just a bend in the road. Now, here's the, here's the issue. If you don't bend with reality, you will break. Nervous breakdown, emotional breakdown, spiritual breakdown. You know what a spiritual breakdown is? You get so mad at God, that's it. It's over. I'm never darkening the door of a church again. Oh, don't do that. You get out from underneath God's authority, you're out here where the roaring lion lives. Now, you've been very kind. Thank you so much for letting me share these things with you. Can we pray together, please?